Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. to Attacking Third. I'm Jenny Chu here with Lisa Carlin, Christine Cupo, and Darian Jenkins. And it's a Friday, so we're wearing our footy kit Friday kits. Darian, kick us off. What are you repping? I'm doing a lot of PSG, I'm realizing. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this kit. I've got Mbappe on the back. Love the colors. And again, we're we're linked with the color waves, aren't we? We don't even need a memo. We're no. just pretty connected. I know. I, I love, love this it. for us. I do too. Of course, I went with the 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 remix to the OG bruised banana kit that was released a couple of seasons ago. I don't even know. My sense of time is shot. But I um, <laughs> love my gooners, so we, we gotta we gotta roll with it. I, I like that one. I'm also going with the crazy like visuals here because I've got the tie-dye on for the USA. Uh, this is the women's because I have the stars across the top. Flex. Uh, but I uh, had to rep some USA today. I love it. The, the absolute, you know, pointing out, I have the stars All right, guys, I have Bayern Munich winning the Champions League. I thought it was a good time to announce that, so I'm repping them today. And I just love the versatility uh, with kits on women because you're wearing a skirt and boots. I'm wearing heels and jeans, slacks, sneakers, Sneakers, I mean, it's just so much we can do. A dress underneath as well. We bring the versatility, I love it. We can. Okay, guys, we have some breaking news today as Liga FA players announced that they will be going on strike for two fixtures of the season after failing to reach an agreement with the league on better pay and working conditions. That is just out today. Uh, we're going to continue with yesterday at the UEFA Awards Ceremony. Serena Wegman won Coach of the Year for the second year in a row, and Aitana Bonmati took home Player of the Year. Both Wegman and Bonmati addressed the evolving situation with Luis Rubiales and the Spanish Federation in their acceptance speeches. Bonmati spoke out against abuses of power and reiterated her support for teammate Jenny Hermoso and Vigman dedicated her award to the Spanish national team, stating that the players, quote, deserve to be listened to. Take a listen. I would like to dedicate this award to the Spanish team, the team that played on the World Cup, such great football that everyone enjoys. applause afterwards but um, this team deserves to be celebrated and deserves to be listened to and I'm gonna give them again a big applause 
and I hope you will join me. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you very much, Serena. Important message as well. Thank you for joining us. Congratulations. Beautiful and classy from Serena Vigman, as we have seen her throughout her entire career. Um, but let's talk about her winning that award and the fact that she has so many accomplishments as a coach. Inarguably, one of the greatest football managers globally. I would die on this hill. She just has accomplished so much with both national teams that she's worked with. Um, super accomplished career. She deserved this award so much, but the fact that she also went the distance to make a point mm -hmm. to speak up on behalf of the Spanish players is just outstanding. Um, I honestly, please come to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Please, we need you. We need which, you. which direction do I beg in? No, she just, she's a top-notch human, top-notch professional. I just, I can't, I'm officially a Serena stan. If I wasn't before, now I really am, because you're taking your moment in the spotlight, which she so deserves, okay? She's worked so hard for that, to amplify people that, you know, have been thrown around in the media and otherwise criticized that just so undeservingly mm -hmm. that I can't say enough good things about Serena. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm also a Serena stan. She's got us. We're going to rock with her. <laughs> but um, you're totally right. To use that moment and her platform when all eyes are on her to bring light to this issue and show support for these players, it just highlights what an amazing coach she is and that she is truly a player's coach. She's winning one of the biggest awards you could possibly win in a coaching career. And that's the moment that she highlights yeah, that class. she's supporting the players. Complete class. And it just shows why she's at the top of the game like she is. And her speaking about that then sparked Aitana Bonmati to also mm -hmm. have her comments. Um, and just incredible to see her career this past year has been unreal. I mean, from Barcelona, from winning player of the year um, in the league, winning it during... Um, the, the Champions Cup. League yeah. and the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, she's done it all. She has had quite a summer. Uh, let's talk about Juan Mati. She deserves it. She does deserve it. This is the player that put this team on her back, and mm -hmm. she was one of those initial 15 that spoke out and said, I will not be part of this team. And then uh, she did decide to come back, which uh, a tough decision for her to make. And ultimately, she's had such a huge impact with the Spanish side throughout this World Cup, leading them. She was such a connector in the midfield. We highlighted her, mm -hmm. but felt like day after day yeah. here on attacking third. And it was she, hard not to. It was so yeah. hard not to. She, she honestly needed two player. separate shows for herself. <laughs> She's yeah. such yeah. a good player, and she chooses this opportunity to speak out. It's just the second player we have heard from inside the Spanish Federation uh, women's side to actually speak out about this. And, and she not only highlights the issues that um, are happening within the Spanish Federation, but with women in their work places globally. Mm -hmm. I, I think yeah. it's very big of her to, to do that as well and to put her name on something like this. So in such a spotlight moment when it's supposed to be celebratory. Yeah, that's a great point that she extended it beyond the Spanish mm -hmm. team. It was, you know, anyone in a workplace that is under these conditions. That's such a great uh, shout there. As we talk about the coaching awards and we talk about Bonmati, um, after the World Cup, a lot of uh, coaching vacancies opened up. Uh, let's talk about all the international coaching vacancies uh, that have since opened up. We heard about um, the Brazilian coach, Pia. Pia Sanhaga, not being there anymore. What other coaches have, have missed out? 
Well, Vlako Andonovsky, uh, his contract was up and they decided to part ways as well. So with the United States, and I think that's interesting to look at some of the top nations the U.S. expected to win the World Cup. And then you have Brazil with Pia Sundhag again, uh, Vera Paul out of Ireland, uh, so many. I mean, look at the eight of them that have departed. Yeah, that's pretty significant. I, I, I don't. I can't remember, maybe just in this moment, seeing that much of an exodus quite as immediately as this. But certainly, obviously, you saw the Philippines coach, Alan Stacic, um, Vera Pau. It's going to be really interesting going into the next cycle who we actually see at sort of the helm for these squads. Yeah, Absolutely. especially Haiti. They mm -hmm. got rid of their head coach, and this is a Haitian national team that did tremendous throughout the qualifying. Well, I think that the was, that was off the field stuff as well. I think right. he was yes. facing the second time. I mean, there's a lot of issues that have happened, but it doesn't mm -hmm. it that's what I mean though. This Haiti team is good. So to get another coach in there is not gonna be difficult for a lot of these nations, I don't think. No, it's gonna be interesting to see all of the movements that happen from here and I'm we're going to cover it every single time. And other news that were, was breaking coming out is that Julie Ertz, U.S. Women's National Team legend, has announced her immediate retirement from football. It's an interesting topic because she came back to the league or came back from having her child only to make this World Cup team. And now that the World Cup is over, she said, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, you look at the recent history of, of Julie Ertz. I mean, overall history of Julie Ertz. She's a two-time U.S. Soccer Female Player of the Year in 2017 and 2019. She won the World Cup in 15 and in 19. And then after the Tokyo Olympics in 2021, she took time off due to an injury that she was facing throughout the Olympics. Then her and her husband, Zach Ertz, they got pregnant. They had their first baby, Madden, a little boy, in August. And then in April, she was already back on the pitch with the United States playing in those April-friendly against Ireland and during that camp conversations were had between head coach Black Wendonofsky and Ertz about hey you need to sign with a club team if you want to make this World Cup roster you need to get consistent reps game minutes under your belt she then signs with Angel City FC at the end of April she plays until the World Cup goes to the World <laughs> Cup and now she says hey I'm done I, I think that was the last little check mark she wanted to have on her resume get back to another World Cup but she changed the game mm -hmm. for sure I mean, I respect it, but also I forget because she's had such a full and successful career that she's only 31. Yeah, she mm -hmm. you know, it's, I remember because I was at the 2015 uh, World Cup seeing her. And at that point, she was, I think, the second youngest on the roster, which is crazy because I feel like she's always been part of this team now. You know, she's mm -hmm. just one of those players. But I, I appreciate her, obviously, technically, but I love her toughness. She's always been kind of that player that more often than not, bandaged up, going in, putting her body on the line. <laughs> when we think about her, that, that's exactly what comes to mind, you know, the, the tenacity that in that midfield, she completely controlled uh, that sixth position, and, man, would she go for every single header, every single tackle. When I think of her as a player, that is what I think of. I'm a Michelle Akers-esque type of player. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's important that so many people now know about the defensive midfield position. The casual fan knows who Julie Ertz is and that she's a destroyer in the midfield, a position that's often overlooked because of the off-ball work that a sixth defensive midfielder does. It's not mm -hmm. usually recognized, but she also scored goals for this U.S. side. She was getting to tackles and really smart tackles, slide tackling, not drawing fouls or cards or racking them up like a lot of players can carelessly do. Yeah, yes. it's going to be a big position to fill and there's never going to be another Julie Ertz. You look at her when you're going against her to play in a game and you're 
man, like, I do not want to be in the midfield. I don't want to mark her. We're going to change it up. We're going to put four people. We'll play in a box so that she can't get out. Um, she dictates the game. So she's, you're right, she has put that sixth position on the map, and her own personal flair is going to be greatly missed, but such an impact on the game and the future of women's soccer in general. And we wish her the best in retirement. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to continue this conversation on Julie Ertz and the legacy that she leaves behind both in NWSL and with the U.S. Women's National Team when we come back. But we're going to have Sandra Herrera, our very own CBS Sports reporter, joining us for that conversation. Yesterday, Julie Ertz announced her retirement. And to help us take a closer look at her career, we welcome in our CBS Sports soccer reporter, Sandra Herrera. Sandra, welcome in. And Let's go right into the U.S. Women's National Team career that Julie Ertz has had. Yeah, epic, right? Uh, Two-time winning World Cup championship, uh, or excuse me, World Cup and uh, CONCACAF championships and doing it all at two different positions. It's, uh, it's wild to think about. I, I stutter at the thought of, of her retirement because you just start replaying the highlights, I think, of everything in your head at the national team level and what she's meant to the program and, and what she's meant to her her teammates as, as well. Uh, it's perfect timing that we're doing this segment, just hopped off of a media call with Chicago Red Stars and her club and national team teammate, Alyssa Nair, saying a lot of wonderful things about uh, this player and what she has meant uh, to their teammates both on and off the pitch as well. Sandra, talk about Julie Ertz's impact at the international level with the United States women's national team. You mentioned uh, she's a two-time World Cup winner, but what has she added on the pitch and tactically for this U.S. side? Gosh, I think the fact that she could turn a game on a dime whenever we look back at some of, of some of these highlights, this is a this is a player that was responsible for giving confidence to both players on the defensive line and on the attacking line in, in front of her. I don't know if uh, that era of like 27, late 2017 to through the 2019 World Cup and beyond where uh, you look at a player who might have been a more crucial cog in the midfield for that team. Uh, you, we hear a lot, I think, and have to go back and reference everyone around the program at that time to sort of allude to her importance in that the head coach and Jill Ellis herself saying that things really didn't get start uh, clicking for this team until they recognized some of that midfield club play for Julia while she was with the Chicago Red Stars and kind of tried to convert that and trans. Uh, translate that over into the national team as well and kind of see this player be able to be both connector and wrecker as well. Yeah, she went on to win two U.S. Women's Player of the Year awards in 2017 and 2019 for all that she did with this team. She really, so Sandra, we talked a little bit about how unique of a player Julie is and a lot of the qualities that we probably won't be able to get a one-to-one -one replacement for. She really has made that position her own. And I guess we could say Julie Ertz has been a good problem for the U.S. Mm -hmm. women's side, but how do we replicate her? Can we can we copy and paste her in some way? Or who do you think will be stepping in to fill those very big shoes uh, that we currently have in terms of depth on the U.S. women's side? I think that's I think that's a great question. I think it's a natural question, right? Where we're just like, well, what comes next? And I think part of that has to be that we need to crumble that up and throw it out the window a little bit. You're not going to replace a, a Julie Ertz, a one of a kind. I think. 
there was a similar narrative around that. And when you look at the position that she held for so long and who came before her, there wasn't going to be another Shannon Box. There wasn't going to be another Lauren Holiday. It's difficult to, to tell the next player or players coming in to say, okay, go ahead and mimic and mirror all of that. And yes, there's a lot of footage out there of, across the board from all of these great players that I just listed and now Julie Ertz. And I'm sure there's going to be um, more defensive midfielders within those roles and positions that look at that footage and look to those players as examples. But I don't know, there's a carbon cut sort of copy that you could take a look at and say, this is a player who's going to come in and slot. I think that Andy Sullivan has done great things as a defensive mid for this program. I know we're all really high on Sam Coffey and can't wait for this player to hopefully get back in the mix with this national team program. But I think that's what it's about moving forward. I think it's taking a look at your player pool and taking a look at the talent that you have within it and some of the strengths that already exist and plug in that player into position and put them into scenarios in, where, in which they concede. Sandra, I was just telling the girls a story about when I had to mark Julie Ertz once uh, in club <laughs> and she wiped me out and scored and I, I think I got subbed off like immediately after I was supposed <laughs> to mark her on the corner. Do you have a favorite moment of hers with the U.S. national team where she's just had the biggest impact or a favorite goal or moment that sticks out in your mind? Oh gosh, um, there's there's so many I think at this point, but um, I know the World Cups are going to stick out for for everybody. But I think maybe in the buildup to uh, into those cycles, I think we saw. I can't put my finger on it if it was specifically a She Believes Cup tournament or a Tournament of Nations uh, match, but there was a really impactful game that she had where they were down against Brazil. Um, and they had to launch a comeback. So we saw a lot of great play uh, between her, Kristen Press specifically as well. And they really kind of spearheaded a, a comeback. And it was, um, you could see the Brazilian team sort of look around at each other and say, what just happened here? Well, you lost. That's what just happened. Here. <laughs> well, she never went through me on a tackle or scored a goal, but I did run like 10 yards behind her in Philadelphia one day on a jog. <laughs> so I was also pretty intimidated in those situations. Uh, yeah. Sandra, she spent a lot of time in Chicago. Are you repping an Earth's Chicago kit today? So you were in your Red Stars. Look, it's 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 nameless, but I could I guess I could just sort <laughs> well, of say that it's the. Uh, in honor of that, for yeah, sure. We'll honor Ertz with the, the Red Stars kit today, but she is now leaving a team in Angel City that is making to look a playoff run and a playoff push. She signed in April with this squad and played with them up until the World Cup. What kind of hold does she leave at Angel City now? You know, I think Angel City is going to maybe look at this as um, a fond farewell and a bit of an opportunity. Uh, I think uh, everyone involved from the folks getting her to, to sign on the line to her team, to her current teammates that she's uh, leaving behind midseason kind of maybe understood the possibility of what was in front of them. And I think interim head coach Becky Tweed is really got this team clicking at the right moment and we're talking about players who can slot in and fill in and who's going to step up i think they have those answers already on this club right now i think danny weatherholt has been that player for them for quite some time and i don't think that's going to change anytime moving forward i think we're starting to see some really good things out of madison hammond as well and let's not forget that they went out and they did sign amandi Henri. and while we had stated before in the past that maybe the timeline of this particular season might not be the 
timeline in which we get to see that player have an impact for Angel City. That's not to say that Henri won't play a significant role for them in the in the near future, possibly as soon as next season. So I think that they've got some answers there. They've got some pieces to go ahead and um, plug in and make sure that they keep finding success on the pitch. But they're going to look to each other and what they had in that locker room right now. And it's going to be with the likes of Weatherholt and I, think, I believe Madison moving forward. Sandra, this like effective immediately retirement, like the, a little mind-boggling, no, that she's just done. We don't even get like a tour around the world, around, around the country. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, hey, players are, are built different, right? I think that that's where we take a look, take a step back and, and recognize, look, everyone's different. Everyone's unique. Everyone wants to, has, a, has an ending that they want to have of their own. And I think having covered Earths for as long as I have, it, it isn't maybe as surprising for someone like me. Um, this is someone that has always sort of been true to who she is and authentic to, to herself in terms of how she's presented herself to the to the media, to the public, um, and to journalists. Whenever there's been uh, media appearances, has always been vocal about her her convictions, her beliefs, the things that matter most to her, um, family, friends, faith. I, I think in terms of soccer, understanding as a professional athlete that eventually that comes to an end and. If you're lucky enough, you are the one that gets to determine that end. And I think she's going out exactly the way she probably planned to uh, some time ago. I, it kind of mirrors a lot. We're talking about a lot of past players, but it kind of mirrors a lot of similar energy, I think, with, with Lauren Holiday. I think some folks thought, like, this is a player who's got some time left in her career. Why would you Why would you walk away at this moment? And sometimes when you're a player, you just know. And I think Ertz is, is one of those uh, athletes that we're going to look back and say, well, this was her timing. This is what she wanted to choose and she's going out the way she wants to. And, and so many moms uh, that are players have talked about how it changes them once mm -hmm. they have a child. And she's even gone on record and said that once she and her husband, Zach, had their son, Madden, she looks at life and the game differently with, it, with a new lens. We've seen that a lot from yeah. some different players. But Sandra Herrera, thank you so much for joining us. I know that you've been a Chicago Red Stars fan, so you've seen her for a long time. You've covered the U.S. Women's National Team for so long. So this is a day for you. Yeah, no, it's look, we're going to get more of these, right? So uh, we, we didn't anticipate, I think, uh, Earth's coming this this soon, but we've already been planning for for Megan Rapino. Those friendlies are going to be in Chicago. I'm sure I'll have more to talk about that with you all then. Um, but this is kind of what happens uh, post cycles. We we see players kind of make these announcements, take time to make these decisions. So it, in that sense, maybe it shouldn't be too revealing or, or shocking to, to know that after a World Cup, maybe some players are going to make some decisions. So we now know in Ertz and we now know in Rapino, and uh, we'll see if there's any that come before the Olympics. Awesome. Thank you, Sandra. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Last week's NWSL matches had tons of controversy from handballs to red cards. We're going to bring in rules analyst Christina Uncle to discuss some of those decisions after the break. Stay with us. Welcome into Attacking Third. We now welcome Christina Uncle, our rules analyst, to join us to help bring some clarity to some calls in the NWSL this past weekend. Welcome, Christina. Thanks for having me. Look forward to jumping into this conversation. I know there's a couple of controversial calls you guys want to hit. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll get to that. But first of all, this is the first year that there is VAR in NWSL. How have you seen it worked out so far? 
Um, so far, it's helped us save a couple of uh, clear and obvious errors. I think there's still a little bit of a learning curve there. Uh, the reality is when you think about each game, you need to have at least two new VARs in that central database booth in Atlanta. And many of these are their first year doing VAR because uh, naturally MLS has it. Now NWSL has it. There's a new influx of group, but collectively, I think they're doing well. Um, obviously, there's some tweaks that we want to do, and that's just going to come over development and training. All right, Christina, let's get into this because you know I always come with the hard-hitting questions for you. I want to talk about handballs because they sound as if they should be so simple and obvious, yet we are constantly seeing calls that are going various ways in the NWSL. I want to particularly talk about Alyssa Thompson for Angel City against OL Reign when she's at the top of the box and Rose Lavelle clips a, a ball into the hand of Alyssa Thompson. It is inside the box. There is no call. No whistle. Uh, what do you see here? Why is this not a handball? Because I do not understand. Well, first, let me say, handling offenses from the beginning of day will always be my job security. But as you can see right there, <laughs> Alyssa Thompson's right arm is moving towards the ball. As you mentioned, no no VAR recommendation for handling offense. In my opinion, this should have been a handling and a penalty. Her right arm is outside of her silhouette. She's making herself bigger and her arm is moving towards the ball. For that, in the current interpretation of handling offense, because it has changed over collective time, but in the current interpretation, this should have been a recommendation for handling offense and a penalty. So you're not off. That should have been a handling offense. I'm, I'm glad that you used the word interpretation because I think that we'd probably have a few here too, Christina. <laughs> I feel like we see these, these things happen a lot. And for me, my point of frustration is one, I'll be screaming at the TV. One, also your name. So don't worry, you're never out of my mind. But um, <laughs> as an aside, uh, if it's supposed to be clear and obvious and we end up with the VAR ref spending mm -hmm. what seems like an extraordinary amount of time reviewing it, is it then not clear and obvious in some of these instances? And I would argue no. So there's two points. Uh, you know, usually when people are, you know, talking about the time it takes to review something and saying, is that clear and obvious that they couldn't see it in two seconds? The reality is the VAR up there has a process to do. And so it's not as simple as just taking a look at one video clip. It's taking a look at essentially 10 to 12 other camera angles that are available for that VAR and just really breaking it down to what are the top three clips that we have? Can we look at it? And does one angle show us something different? This game is all about angles. And in the VAR booth, there is zero room for making the making an incorrect decision. You have to take a look because sometimes there are one angle that tell you absolutely not. And then there's a second angle that tells you. So there's a bit of the process when it comes to taking a look at all of them. Some of them are quick check completes. This one, I wouldn't have blamed the VAR for also wanting to take a look at the reverse camera angle behind the goal and to see if there is another 18 or a loose camera. So essentially from the VAR perspective, he or she would have been looking at three to four different camera angles to try to help sell that point. Then you have the internal part within you that comes down to the training and development side of it is is this clear and obvious for the collective football community to say that this is a recommendation or is it just in my personal interpretation a an error and that should have been a penalty and so sometimes there's that internal struggle with a VAR which comes down to development and training to get everyone consistently on a page because this for us at the highest level should be clear once we get those videos once we get this Alyssa Thompson one on the, the front one looking into her should be something very quick that they could say yes this is a clear and obvious error in our current interpretation and should have been called and sent down. So I'm with you, Kupo, but at times it's a little bit more complicated than as simple as taking a look at one clip.
I think that's super helpful, though, for all of us, including the fans, to add some clarity to mm -hmm. what actually mm -hmm. happens behind the scenes because we don't always have that that glimpse into what's transpiring. We're all kind of just hands up already in uh, probably a rapture of emotion usually around this place. <laughs> so I, I think for me, it's, it's been super helpful, Christina, for you to let us know what exactly is happening with the processes when it goes to VAR. Yeah, I agree. Super helpful, Christina. And one big question I have, Gotham got a goal called back on this Delaney Sheehan play. She showed her tenacity and got a goal against their game against San Diego, and it was called back, I believe, for a foul. What are your thoughts on this play, and why was it called back? We all are a little confused as to how this wasn't let through. Yeah, so take a look. The on-field decision was to let it stand. However, if you take a look here, as she's moving through the play, the question is, does she go through the keeper's upper body torso prior to making that final connection before the back end of the goal? So the on-field decision at the beginning moment by this referee is to allow this as a good goal. Now, the basically the information in the direction that he got was essentially that there was a foul that occurred leading up to it before she makes contact to that. Yes, there's a little bit of argument for it, but the reality is everyone is scrapping to get there. When we talk about, you know, football understanding and what our expectations are here, I would say there should have not have been an overturn on this decision. We let this go. With all due respect, you know, I always take this into analysis and I try not to put, you know, any kind of a gender analysis to this, but in any kind of a high level football game, do we expect this to be called back? And the answer is no. This is just good football. This is just good play. This is just a struggle battle. Keepers getting a ball from the back of the net and trying to reach rebound it, attackers moving forward. Everyone's throwing their body on it. Why? Because a goal is at line here. This is good. We need to let this go. The original decision of allowing this to be a goal should have stood. All right, Christina, I have another one for you. I was actually on the call for this game for North Carolina. Emily Fox is running back. It's against Chicago Red Stars and Bianca St. George turns Fox. She gets better positioning and then St. George is off to goal. We get a little tug of the jersey from Emily Fox. This is called a red card, and she's taken off. Is this the right call by the on-field official? This is the right to call decision by the on-field official. Now, one of the biggest arguments you would have, right, this is a denying an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, the clear word is obvious, and since it's outside the 18, it is essentially a red card. If you have a dog zone here, you must have a red card, and that's what the referee gave here. The biggest consideration in question is at the moment that Emily Fox pulled her shirt, essentially, that's where the freeze frame has to occur, and that's where the analysis of what we call the snapshot must happen. Where are the other defenders, right? So we have number of defenders, we have distance from goal, we have uh, possession of the ball or likelihood of gaining possession um, and uh, the direction, right? So as you kind of mentioned, but for that pull, would she have had an obvious goal scoring opportunity? Do, don't take that snapshot after the fact. Take the snapshot when the shirt pull has happened. The other defenders, although they are about two, three steps behind on a lateral version, could they have intercepted her? Uh, that's a little bit doubtful. She was streaking. She was on the go. She would have at least had five yards in advance of them. Now take a look specifically at the goalkeeper Murphy on this play as well. She's playing high up her line and you see her scrambling and backpedaling to get out, right? So it's not that she's already set on her line and moving up. She's actually backpedaling out. So this leads me to say on balance and leaning towards the different four considerations that a red card is the more appropriate decision here because but for that shirt pull, would she be off to the races? Would another defender be able to materially defend in the sense of in front of her instead of chasing from behind her? And importantly, is the goalkeeper 
Brissett and or could she have won the ball? And the answer there is no. As you see goalkeeper Murphy there scrambling back to try to get back. Could she have been shipped? And the key word of those four considerations is the word, is it obvious? Not that she would have in fact have scored, but is it an obvious goal scoring opportunity? And here I think the decisions all tilt essentially over to a dog. So red card, and I think it's the appropriate decision. All right, Christina, we continue to talk about red cards here. Casey Stoney's red card, a bit controversial as well. Can you talk us through that one? Yeah, so the Casey Stone one, it's cheeky, right? So when you take a look at it, the first one, I thought it hit essentially uh, her, you know, favored water cooler, right? And I hope and I wish that she had left the, <laughs> let it hit the water cooler. But instead, you see this really nice finesse of the right inside foot kicking the ball away. But it's important to remember that in the laws of the game, when it comes to the technical staff, that if a uh, technical staff kicks the ball away, specifically to time waste, and here you got to take into context what time and with the fact that they were winning in this game, her making that touch is delaying the restart of this play. It is 100% supported and expected under the laws of the game to issue her this red card. And I know that a lot of people were up in arms and said, this is horrific and da da da. The reality is regardless, any type of technical manager who ends up kicking that ball away, especially when they're leading and they're winning and they're delaying the time, by law must be issued a red card for it. Okay, so it was Christina. the appropriate decision. Can who do I petition to maybe get that reduced to a yellow? Because the finesse on that touch, come on. Oh, hey, hey, I, in, in the court of public opinion and that little <laughs> finesse touch, I was there. I was like, all right. And then I'm like, oh, no, she's going to get that red card. And for sure, she ended up getting that red card. So uh, we can always sort of kind of bend the laws when we're talking about management. But can we ultimately break the laws as the referees? The answer is no. So to go down to a yellow card would essentially be breaking the laws here. So the referee was correct in this. All right, Christina, thank you so much for joining us and bringing light to these situations that we weren't really sure about. We wanted an explanation, and I just want to let you know your haircut looks popping. Oh. Oh, thanks, girl. Yeah, I chopped it all off and got some highlights. I wasn't I going for ombre. It. I just couldn't get into the hair lip, so thank you. All right, we'll see you it next time. Good. Thank you. Thanks. We have a tactical breakdown with Lisa and Darian. When we come back, they're going to be talking about the Portland Thorns without Sophia Smith. Stay with us. Welcome back to Attacking Third. Uh, this weekend, Portland Thorns are in action, and they will be without their star striker, Sophia Smith. 11 goals, 5 assists on the year, and last week she went down with a horrible knee injury in the stoppage time at the end of the first half for Portland Thorns. It is confirmed she has strained. It's a mild strain mm -hmm. of her MCL, but this is a big loss for the Portland Thorns. Although they have the deepest bench in the league, Darian, without Sophia Smith, what holes are left gaping there at Portland? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about her on the show endlessly. I think there's huge shoes to fill. Not only is she a really good hold-up player for these Portland Thorns, but she's a threat in behind. She helps build play. You talk about how many assists she has. So I think they're going to have to adapt to their game and know that what they're missing is they're going to have to adapt this midfield especially and this front line to bring in a little bit more hold-up play and be able to break teams down that they usually do when Soph is there. Although this Portland side doesn't want to do this, they will be without Sophia Smith moving forward. And there are tactics that Mike Norris, head coach for Portland Thorns, have already put into place at this Portland side while Smith was at the World Cup with the United States. However, they're back to those tactics mm -hmm. this week for Portland Thorns. Darian, what, does, what do the Thorns need to do without her? Yeah, so here's an example of Portland playing Washington Spirit and their press coming off of a goal kick from the Spirit. They're able to, just to stay patient, and here you see Emily Mangas with the back pressure not a, not allowing the forward to turn then you have coffee and Sigita tracking back to pick up the second ball which they do and then it's a quick transition 
Watch Morgan Weaver's movement here on the side. You see Coffee. they play a little one-two with Moultrie, and she just has her head up and plays a cheeky little slip pass to another cheeky finish. I love that goal. Probably favorite goal of the week. Oh, it's so good. And it's her so celebration good. gets me riled up. <laughs> and that's just one example of how they're going to break teams down is that quick transition and an organized press. Here we have it again. Weaver coming in on the backside forced to play a long ball. They pick the ball up and just watch Sugita's movement and the space that she exploits. They're calm, under pressure. They maintain possession. And then she's able to just play a little one-two off of Weaver. Weaver and open up and look nobody steps to her and what Soph would usually be doing I think is making that darting run in behind but because she doesn't Sugita is able to take a shot from distance and something that teams are expecting now with a front line that's a little bit more direct without so Sophia which she can be direct but she also has that ability for hold up play is that they're going to stretch the team so these shots from distance from the midfield of Portland with Coffee, Sugita, Moultrie, um, and many others, I think is going to be something in their repertoire that's going to make teams respect them, have to step forward, and then it's going to expose the space behind for these forwards that typically like to exploit. Morgan Weaver, one of those forwards that do like to get in behind. We saw her get that cheeky little chip Love on that it. goal that we just watched. She's a player that has stepped up mm -hmm. and been able to provide goals for this team. She's got eight goals on the year, four assists, so she has slid into that role. Mm -hmm. uh, but for Portland, they need to maintain their patience on the ball. This is a match against San Diego. It starts on the left side. The Thorns switch it to the far side, and they're looking to attack. They've sent it into Vasconcelos who's in the corner. Now Porter checks into this space. She has four defenders around her. She could easily force this, try to get inside the box but she doesn't. She keeps possession for the Thorns. She recreates an angle and now she has an opportunity to send a cross in. It doesn't get through initially but Kling sends it back into the mixer Ooh. and there's Hannah Betford with a goal. She is a player that will step up for this Portland Thorns side in addition to their patience on the ball if they have the ability to not force passes, mm -hmm. not force anything into the final third. Wait till they get a really good clinical final shot. That's what's going to be key for them. And then they can lean on players like Hannah Betford and Morgan Weaver. Hina Sugita, Olivia Moultrie, they have all the pieces in order to get these goals. But now the question is, can they put it together? Stay at the top of the table. They have a tough, ma tough matchup this weekend. The Portland Thorns will be facing the racing Louisville in this week's matchup. We have all of that and more. We're going to take you through an NWSL weekend preview when we get back. The NWSL is back this weekend as the playoff race is in full swing. And this is a look at this weekend's matches. We get kicked off tonight, Casey Current against a Angel City FC. And then tomorrow at 7.30 p.m., Racing Louisville against the Portland Thorns. That's a good one there. And on Sunday, we're going to have OL Reign against Orlando Pride on Paramount Plus and Golasso Network for everything on Sunday. CBS Sports Network is showing Washington Spirit against the Chicago Red Stars at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So many games to talk about. Shall we preview a couple of these? Lisa, yes. Kansas City against Angel City. That's a good one. It's a really good match, Jenny. <laughs> this is a really good match. You look at the recent form of Angel City. They've gone on this incredible run since Becky Tweed have, has taken over. That has given them a resurgence and more identity in the ways that this team is attacking because they have all these threats. Of course, the young teenager, Alyssa Thompson, is creating waves and their other players up top. Clarice Libion has also stepped up in really big ways. A goal and an assist last week 
week. And with the new announcement of Julie Ertz's retirement, um, it, it's going to have a different look midfield that we've seen over the last several weeks from this Angel City side. Danny Weatherholt slotting into the midfield role, uh, doing a really good job to be the connector, receive the ball from one side, swing it out to the other. She controls the tempo of this game. However, they're on the road. They're playing in Kansas City against a current side that is three wins at home, straight wins. They, they've made it a bit of a fortress playing there. They've gotten sellout crowd after sellout crowd. They were without Dabinia last week. She was on COVID protocol. She should be back in the lineup, which just creates all kinds of problems for opposition. Lola Bonta is coming off her first goal of the season as well. And it was such a such beautiful one. I'm sorry. I've such been thinking about it since it happened. It was so good, and that's the confidence that Labonta needs now because she led this team last year on their run at this point in the season through all the way to the Challenge Cup final. It was on the back of Labonta that that team was able to do it. She just got her first goal of the year. She has the confidence clicking. She's going to be a game changer playing in combination with Dabinia, CeCe Kaiser up top. They will cause problems for Angel City's back line. I know you mentioned her, but you didn't really talk about her enough of as I want you to. Yeah. Hammond. Who's that? Oh, Madison Hammond. And this is a player that has come in for Angel City, and she's been able to fill a lot of different roles because she can play in the back. She pushes higher when they are in possession of the ball. She does help with their build out because Becky Tweed, she wants this team to keep the ball and have those moments where they can move quickly in transition. And Madison Hammond is one of the players that can be the trigger for those moments. When she sees the players ahead of her getting in behind, she can spring the passes forward. She is key. She got the goal last week for them as well. Mm -hmm. Lisa, that was a great sell. I have to watch this game now. Darian, North Carolina <laughs> against Gotham. Can you beat Lisa's sell? I'm probably like, not. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Probably not. But it'll be a great match. Matchup. We have North Carolina, who's number two on the table right now, against Gotham, who's number four. Top of the table, this North Carolina team hasn't had an issue scoring goals, and I think that's something that they have over Gotham right now, as much as I'm reluctant to say. But I do think both of them are a little bit out of form, so it's going to be a good game to see who comes on top and is able to put the ball in the back of the net. I think Jenna Neischwanger, wherever we're going to see her on the pitch, is so effective for this Gotham side. She... I personally want to see her in the midfield. I don't know if we will, but she's been great at outside back, wing back, getting forward, creating chances. She has a lot of assists on the air, a couple goals. Um, and then we have our World Cup players returning on both sides that, you know, some just came in as a sub last week for the games. And I think we're going to see them get significant minutes now. And it's going to be a really, really good matchup. I, Jenny, you should watch that, too. Yeah. Watch <laughs> that one, too, please. But that's a tie in the I table I said that battle. like I don't already watch them. I was like, well, convince me. But that's a good one because it's top of the table. And mm -hmm. we're seeing different positioning from Gotham. Darian, I want to know from you, is Kelly O'Hara going to play in, in, like, the midfield front line again? Where is she going to be she on the field? She might be goalkeeper for all we know. Right, like, <laughs> She's all, she's all over the pitch. Um, but no, her, I think her leadership is what's most effective with having her as part of the 11. And that's what this team really needs right now, especially with these new players being added in. Um, just to start gelling and get back into rhythm to where they're scoring goals. That's just been there. We're in a little bit of a drought at Gotham right now with creating more opportunities and getting those chances and finishing them. We, you know, we had a goal called back last week. We spoke about it earlier. And um, yeah, we just need to keep creating chances to get goals. But 
North Carolina, I think, is going to have with the pace and the style of play that they have under coach Sean Nahas with how direct they are, and it's going to expose this back line at Gotham, and it's going to be it's going to be a battle of two kind of different strengths. So Wait, be fine. I, I'm trying to, Lisa, I know you know everything, so is yeah. Emily Fox out with the Emily red Emily Fox is out yeah, with that's the red a big, card, which will that's change the formational <laughs> shift for this North Carolina side, but they were also without her throughout the World Cup, mm -hmm. so they have players that can slot into that role. This is a chance for Gotham to take three points. Yeah. They know each other so well. They were in the same Challenge Cup group, so they this is the oh, fourth yeah. time they will have played each other this year. So they understand their opposition that they're going up against. And this is really a chance for Gotham to take three points and jump in the standings. Mm -hmm. Kubo, I feel it's like, your time. I feel like I have to jump in here now with like a top hat and sequins. Like, <laughs> oh, what do I, wow. You know, for you. me, oh, I will God. sit here and listen while I sip my tea and watch you Jazz perform. Him. OL Rain against okay. Orlando. OL Rain and Orlando Pride, uh, respectively sixth and seventh in the table. We have OL Rain coming off an uncharacteristic three match losing streak, although they have gone unbeaten at home against the Pride, which will be an interesting dynamic. The Pride, however, seem to have finally gotten their footing. We had on Friday the Marta show because Marta. I mean, come on. She created eight chances on her own, and, and one of those ended up being an assist for the lone goal in the match. I think that the Pride have certainly seemingly figured things out over yes. there. And uh, I, I, I think right now things are kind of leaning in their favor, although I don't think that O.L. Rain are going to lay down without a fight, especially mm -hmm. not at home. So I think that this might actually be like the, the sleeper spectacle. We'll call it that. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. This is a match to watch because Orlando is still below the playoff line. Mm -hmm. So every single week counts with only, this is match day 18 in the NWSL. They have to continue to pick Everything's up Everything's so tight that so nobody tight. is safe at this point. So I don't think that even the rain are going to be like, oh, yeah, we're good. We're, it's fine. We can just let this one slide. Cool. Yeah, we'll see where Laura Harvey <laughs> plays some of her her players positionally because last week Rose Lavelle was out on the wing. She was in the wide areas and she's so much more effective centrally, mm -hmm. maybe just trying to tweak with some things there in, in Seattle. But I, I want Rose Lavelle back centrally because she can play make from there. She can dribble between the lines and she can cause trouble for the two center backs for mm -hmm. Orlando, Emily Madrill and Raffaele, who have done such a good job. But let's ask questions of them. And those yeah. questions are going to come from Rose Lavelle. Yeah, I, I think if anybody's going to give them some sort of a reckoning, it, it'll be Rose. And I, I'm excited to see it, quite frankly. <laughs> Christine, you weren't here for it. Um, Jordan was here, but both Darian, Lisa, and I all picked that Orlando Pride was going to make the playoffs. So that's one to watch for sure there. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We bring the latest of women's football, analysis, news, all of it. We appreciate you guys for always joining us. We'll see you next week.